great day. Amazing humans. Yes. Welcome to Empowered in My Skin, the podcast. We feature guests of varying backgrounds and lived experiences to share their empowering stories, knowledge, and insights. Our goal is for you, the listener, to fill your mind with empowered thoughts to further empower your human. I'm your host in Kitchen Waffle Robinson and founder and CEO of EIMS. I'm an experienced technology executive, an author, an international federation of bodybuilding pro athlete, an inspirational speaker and viral sensation with speeches that have over 7 million views worldwide, and most recently awarded WXN Most Powerful Woman in Canada. I trust that you are already feeling empowered. So please listen, leave a review, share the podcast, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. For now, I'm your girl. Let the show begin. Great day, amazing humans, and welcome to the next episode of Empowered in My Skin, the podcast. On today, my guest is a national producer, field reporter, TV host for more than 20 years. She covers a vast array of local, national, and international stories, reporting from some of the biggest news events of our day, from 9-11 terrorist attacks Hurricane Katrina in 2005, the 7.0 magnitude earthquake that rocked Haiti in 2010, to the historic story of Uganda recovering from years of war. As the former host on the longest-running Canadian daily talk show, 100 Huntley Street, she interviewed a variety of guests, people from all walks of life, like those making a difference in their communities, authors, victims of crime, actors, filmmakers, directors, thought leaders, politicians, and musicians. And I know you're now excited, so put your ears together for this gem of a human, Maggie John. Oh, yeah, it's so good to be with you. So excited to be here. It always works better the second time around. <laughs> no one would ever know. <laughs> I know, but I'm keeping that one in. I just have to be true. I have to be all the way truthful. Yes, Transparent. I have to be, yeah, have to be all it. the way true. So for everyone that's listening, we were six minutes in to a million deep conversation and i was like i forgot to hit record so here we are just but you only you only really missed a couple of questions so i'm gonna repeat them for you so maggie could you really now tell myself and, and my listeners you know about you the person yeah so i always start off with i am a child of god um, I believe in God. Um, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, and I'm a communicator. And I, I just said so, to somebody the other day, I'm a communicator that desperately wants to be understood. And um, that's kind of how I have lived my life <laughs> for the past number of years. So you know I'm going to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you are a communicator <laughs> that desperately wants to be understood. And yeah. you're a mom and you're a, and you're a wife. A wife, So yeah. what does your husband and your child say about your communication? <laughs> Oh my goodness. So they, I always say they have selective hearing. And so I don't always believe that they're listening to me. And as a communicator, I want to be heard. I don't know how many times I will be sitting there and I'll be like, Elton, my husband, are you, are you listening to me? Should I hold on and, and wait? No, no, no. I'm listening. I'm listening. And you know, when you know, they're not listening to you. So I've just outed him there. And, uh, but you know, I keep talking. So. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, um, my name in Kitchener actually means uh, God's gift. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I know that the first thing he expresses, I am a child of God. So mm-hmm. is that your great, that's your great, I am. Yeah, that is. I mean, 
you know, in everything that I do, I'm always thinking, how do I communicate him well? Mm -hmm. And how do I embody him well? How do I model him well? And I am far from perfect in doing that. And every day I have to ask God for forgiveness and try again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have grace tattooed on my arm oh. because, um, I, and I have two arrows. I don't know if you can't, you can't see it, but, mm-hmm. um, I have one arrow that's pointing this way towards like out mm-hmm. and one arrow pointing towards, towards me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have to show myself grace in order to also show others. Wow. Sometimes it's so much easier and catchy to show grace to others than it is to yourself. Yeah. Um, but that's also part of just, yeah, the fact that I'm, I'm not perfect and I make a lot of mistakes, but I'm trying to be the best example yeah. of him and everything I say and do. And then, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, reflection projection. And I think when you can mm-hmm. show yourself grace, mm-hmm. you know, people feel it. They feel the grace. Yeah. You don't even need to show it to them. They just feel it back. You know, it's beautiful. I pray that. I yeah. pray that. Yeah. I love that. So, um, one thing that was really interesting, um, that you had, were, you were saying earlier is that you had come to know Jesus in college and, yeah. you know, I was interested to find out how that, how that came to be. Yeah. So I grew up in a nominal Christian home. So we went to an Anglican church that, um, and my parents didn't really go to church with us all the time. I mean, they, you know, did the Easter, the Christmas, the kind of, that kind of thing, but they would send us to church. So we'd get on the bus. We, I grew up in downtown Toronto. So, you know, get on the bus and and travel up to Lawrence and Bathurst to go to church every Sunday. Um, my mom was, was good with sometimes coming with us if she wasn't working. And, um, you know, I remember this moment, it was confirmation class and the priest, we had a female priest and she had told us to close our eyes and, you know, imagine Jesus walking down this river, you know, beside this river. And I remember bawling, like starting to cry. And I was so embarrassed at 14 years old with all these other kids and I'm crying. And I now know that that was the Holy Spirit. I was having an interaction with the Holy Spirit. But at that time I just thought, why am I crying? And, um, you know, we left that church because of political reasons, but I always had that desire to find more, to, mm. to understand God more, to understand Jesus more. And so I uh, saw a friend who I started working with. She told me about this really cool church, a lot of young people, um, and, and you know, I could come. And so I went, and I was a part of that uh, church for about, I would say maybe four or five months and found out that it was a cult Mm -hmm. and um, that I'd been, you know, and and it was just, it was crazy. I was like my first year of university and really looking for like identity, Mm -hmm. looking for a community, looking for a place to belong. And this group just seemed like they were the place to belong. They had, you know, a number of people that actually went to Ryerson where I studied. And so I just thought this is perfect. And they all love Jesus. And um, it's interesting because, my parents started really doing some research on it. And again, they were nominal Christians, but they were just like, something is a little off with this group. And so they reached out to the guidance counselor at the school and the the guidance counselor knew about this group and knew that they, you know, looked out for young, young people and tried to pull them in. And I remember and catchy sitting in this meeting and, you know, them giving me all of these articles. And the funny thing is this group tells us, like, we'll tell you, uh, people will call us a cult, but we're not, you know, we believe in Jesus. So they would call it out. So, so I was prepared. Right. So I'm reading all these articles, and I'm like, well, I know this, but uh, you know, they're not. And so um, I remember us leaving. And that was the first time I remember hearing my dad say, I love you. Mm. 
it's so weird because we were parting ways. I was going back to class and my parents were leaving and my dad just looked at me and said, I love you. And I'm sure he said, I love you many times, but for some reason, like if you were to ask me, I could picture the day where I was standing, what was happening. And that was like just this emotional thing that I went through at that moment. I was just like struck by the words. Mm -hmm. And later on that week, got a package from the school with more articles about this group and realized and started bawling and crying and realized I was a part of this cult Mm -hmm. I'd been pulled in. Had not been baptized yet into this group or anything. So that, you know, I was saved by that. But that then led my parents to see that there was a desire for me to learn more. Mm -hmm. And so they connected us. They, you know, had some friends who went to a a legitimate church. We got connected. And shortly after, our whole family got baptized and all became Christians. And so it started, yeah, this beautiful journey of our family all coming to faith, including my dad, who was like, you know, the most hesitant Grew up in a Baptist household, but had fallen far away from from God. But um, yeah, through that journey of me searching and them trying to save me from going down the wrong path, found the right path, and uh, and all of us ended up becoming Christians, including my my two younger brothers. So wow, that's yeah. beautiful. That's a beautiful story. And had yeah. had your experience with the cult had it shifted your personality at all? Like, were the, mm. was there anything that you had to grow out of as a result of leaving them? You know, I was in it for such a short period of time that I didn't, mm-hmm. but I did notice though that like, um, what I appreciate is that my parents saw a need mm-hmm. and, and there was this desperate need. Like I really just wanted to know Jesus. And so I think if anything, that was heightened in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was just this really, mm-hmm. I, there was a trigger there of just wanting to know okay. more. And I appreciate that, that they uh, honed in on that and actually sought that out a wow. little bit more. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. So this season of life, we're still in this uh, quarantine. I think we're like, what, week 53? It's uh, definitely a four fifty. yeah, 53 or something. We, yeah. I think we just passed yeah. the year anniversary. And, you know, how has your life, how has it affected your life? Like, it, has it, you slowed down any or, I mean... <laughs> No, I wish. I wish. <laughs> so you haven't you, know you haven't experienced what some other people have experienced. No. <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the of the pandemic, I was actually on a sabbatical. I had gone on um, a sabbatical for four months, and so um, so yeah. So the first part of that, I was already kind of disconnected from mm-hmm. the world and work and everything, and just really spending time just trying to figure out my future. And so once I returned to work, I was just like, I'm ready to rejoin the world. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, no, but you can't because mm-hmm. you're in this pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, I wear a lot of hats in in my life and uh, I run a, a charity and I'm on a couple of boards and I am also, you know, an anchor of a, a current affairs show, mom, you know, wife, um, dog owner, you know, like, <laughs> Lots, lots going on. Sister, (laughs) um, daughter. So, you know, there's just so many things that I just feel like I haven't been able to slow down Mm -hmm. at all. When do you get time for yourself? Never, really, when I'm sleeping. So what does does self-care look like for Maggie? At this point, it doesn't. It doesn't. It looks like waiting for vacation (laughs) where I can just disconnect. But at this point, 
And it's funny because I've always been one to be really into self-care. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I mean, I got my nails done today. So that was yeah, nice. Self-care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got a, got a, That's an awesome. hour her out nails of the house. Are kind of nice. I see them in yeah. the video. So we're, we're, we're <laughs> I see her on video, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But yeah, I used to be really into self-care before the pandemic. And I think because now this is my world. I mean, this room that I'm in is my office. It's my studio sometimes for work. It's everything mm-hmm. that my self-care is like closing the door at the end of the day and not coming back in here um but so that's a that's a great i think that's a great share for my listeners because i never even thought about that one like actually walking away from your work yeah and closing the door and giving it to your family self-care yeah my i have a friend who's a psychotherapist and she said one of the best things that you can do for yourself is at the end of the day close off Mm -hmm. maybe even take a shower do something Mm -hmm. that's like it feels like you are transitioning and even even though you're still in the same space you're closing off that part of your life and so i really took that into okay when i when i leave this room I'm not coming back. I'm closing off my computer. And that means on the weekends, I don't answer emails. Um, And so even if I see something come in, if it's super important and it needs my attention, I'll respond. But otherwise, I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just learned earlier in my life to create boundaries. And I I did that from the time I started in this industry Mm -hmm. because I knew that if I didn't, it would just eat me alive. Mm -hmm. Um, and because I have so many other responsibilities right. that I, you know, speak into and play into that I just, I can't. Right. So earlier on, so just to get into more about what you, what you do. So thank you for sharing a lot about who you are. I love it. Yeah. Um, you did share, you know, you talked about, I am a communicator that desperately wants to be um, understood. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my first question was really going to be, how did you get into journalism? Because journalism mm-hmm. communication is, you know, obviously tightly aligned. Um, but it sounds like that statement came later on in life. Yeah, it did. <laughs> so how did you, what was the for it to get you, the journey to get you into journalism and why? Yeah, so um, I loved writing from an early age, loved writing. I would create my own little storybooks and stuff like that. And as I got older, just really loved um, just continuing to write, wrote poems and, and all of that. But such an introvert. I'm still an introvert to this day. Um, and and so when I thought of where do I want to go, what do I want to do, I thought, well, maybe journalism would be the thing. And my plan actually was that I would become a legal analyst because <laughs> I wanted to become a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was I would take journalism kind of as my BA um, and then go to law school. That was the plan. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> did I become a lawyer? No. Um, I went to Ryerson, studied, took my first law class and hated it, like f- almost flunked it, like barely, barely passed and realized, okay, maybe law's not for me. And I remember having, like telling my younger brother, so I'm not going to become a lawyer. <laughs> and he told my parents and my parents are like, can you make a living off of journalism? <laughs> so, um, I said, well, we'll try and we'll see what happens Mm -hmm. and uh, went to New York and did an internship at CBS News. was there on September 11th, 2001, when the terrorist attacks happened and ended up um, being called by Crossroads, which... um, 
was an organization that I was interning with that previous summer. And so they said, we know, you know, Maggie, you're in New York. Would you mind doing a documentary for us called God at Ground Zero? Mm. So I left my internship at CBS News because I was just pushing paper. I really wasn't doing very much because I was excited. Like mm-hmm. I could actually do a story mm-hmm. and ended up producing a documentary while I was down there. Um, just the faith community's response to 9-11. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of started the career. I always say my career started on September 11, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and then funny thing, you know, went back to school, finished, graduated, and was standing in line at Office Depot one day um, applying for a job. Just desperate, like graduated, and I have nowhere to go, nothing to do. And uh, got a call from Crossroads 100 Huntley Street saying, hey, Maggie, would you come in? to chat with us a little bit more, you know, because they had known me from my internship. Went in, spoke to um, the head of the organization then, and they were starting a reporting team and asked if I would join. And that was... What year was that? That was in 2002. That's incredible, because even back then, there wouldn't be a lot of black women. No, there were none. I was the first. (laughs) Oh, you were? I was the first. I was the first black woman on 100 Huntley Street. Wow. Yeah. So, wow, just so many ways, I, so many things I can go, but I have, I, to, I have to cross on this one, the intersectionality of news and God. And I just, mm. like, there's, it, to me, it's like, the first word that came to me was integrity. Yeah. And it seems so contradictory when you talk about news, right? Because if you're on ABC, it's polarized one way, and if you're on CNN, it seems to be, you know? So yeah. how, does that, how does that work? How did, you, how did you marry those two? Yeah, it's so beautiful. I love the fact that you asked that question, because that's what really attracted me to, you know, I was new in my faith, right? I was only a couple years in and so in love with my faith and wanting to marry this world of journalism that I had stepped into. And so they had a show back then that I was interning at called Listen Up. Well, now it's called Context Mm -hmm. and I'm now the anchor. So 20 years later, I'm now the anchor of the show that I once interned at. But yeah, it's this beautiful marriage of how does faith play a role in the stories that are happening like COVID, Mm -hmm. right? Like what does that look like? You know, like just the other day we um, did a show on COVID and loneliness Mm -hmm. and how does that impact people? We, you know, interviewed one woman who's a part of Harvard university that uh, wrote a report on just the increase in loneliness. How does that affect Mm -hmm. who we are as beings? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always just have to directly point back to God, but it's like, God created us. We are beings. And that means that from head to toe, he cares about all of that. So when we're feeling lonely, that affects so many aspects of our life, so many ways in in the way that we exchange with people, all of that. So we talked to, yeah, we talked about that. We talked about young people um, dying by suicide because through this pandemic, they have felt a sense of loss, a sense of lack of control. Um, We talked to uh, a psychologist, a Christian psychologist, but like, so then how do we, like, how do we resolve this to our faith? Mm. How do we find hope and faith? So that looks like everything else, right? Just Mm. like you said, ABC News and so forth. We all have our angles Mm -hmm. and it's finding that God angle and realizing that there really is a faith story behind every single news story. As you're talking, like, you know, what I felt is like you're, you reach into the story from a, from a place of love, right? Into yes. and, and to find the love point to that story, you know? And love it. Yeah. To exactly. pull it out, right? Like it's just exactly. 
Wow. Well, even the show that you were on, Catchy. I mean, it was like, you know, celebrating International Women's Day and celebrating women who, in their own right, have found their place and their calling. Mm -hmm. And we interviewed yourself. We interviewed this woman who, like, gave me goosebumps. She is the head of Sat7, which is one of the largest Christian um, stations in the Middle East. And she's the first woman to ever lead this organization. It's primarily run by men. And you're in, again, a culture which is male-dominated. Mm -hmm. You know, women don't really have much of a voice. And here is this woman who said... I found encouragement from my father who told me that I could do anything. And I resonate with that because that's where my dad would always tell me, you can do anything. And so we need those men in our lives who will say that, not just our mothers. And so, again, to so many women, even in that show, who said, you know, we we also, one of our reporters interviewed a woman who had done a documentary called... um, uh, no burkas behind bars and about these women in Afghanistan mm-hmm. who, wh- because they're in prison, they've, they've been in prison for like simple things, you know, like, I mean, you know, maybe talking to a man in the street, that's not your husband or things of that sort. That's against the, the- theological law of the country. And, and yet they found freedom behind bars because they could take off their burqa and they could be themselves mm. like just revolutionary mm-hmm. in so yeah. many ways. So again, so many layers of God in those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have to be these overt kind of, you know, anti this or yes, pro that. Right. It's right. Really just it's funny, just, yeah. Digging it's to just the love day point. to day life. Digging to exactly. the love point of it. Yeah. Totally. I love it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. That gave me chills. So since you brought up the show that I was yeah. on and yeah. uh, to, to everyone, it's online. You can find it. Maybe I'll put it in yeah. the link. I was sweating. <laughs> So TV is like Why? nothing. Like here I'm so, this is so chill. Like I'm talking yeah. to the same person and having a very different experience, like inwardly. And so, you know, I know I asked you earlier pre-show, what was your first, I just want to know if it was anything like mine. What was your first TV experience like? Yeah. So my first television experience was um, an on-location shoot that I did uh, in Kingston, Ontario, a little outside of Kingston, Ontario, with this young boy. His name was Ryan Harold Jack. Mm-hmm. And he was this kid, I think he was like nine years old. And he found out that there were kids on the other side of the world who didn't have clean water. Mm-hmm. And he decided that he was like, well, why can't we make a difference? Like, what? Like, why is this happening? And so, motivated, he started his own um, organization called Ryan's Wells, raised a ton of money. And ended up drilling a couple of wells in Africa. I can't remember what country. I want to say Nigeria, but I could be wrong. And don't quote me on that. But um, yeah, and just took it upon himself. And I remember that day. Actually, it's funny. One of my friends who was my producer back then, um, she sent me a couple pictures. Oh, my goodness. Back then. It was like 20 years ago. Oh, my goodness. And it's so different. (laughs) But, um, But what resonated with all of us, on that day in Ketchy was what he said. He was like, cause I had asked him a question like, um, you know, why do you think God allows this to happen or something? Mm. And he had said, you know, I think it's our job as God puts us on this earth so that we can solve these problems. Like we are actually supposed to be the hands and feet and we're supposed to do this. Sorry, how That's why he? nine. Yeah, exactly. And I like, even you tell me telling you to start getting goosebumps. All I know. Again, because that's like- like it was like, are you like, are you really not? Like, are, are you really fifty? Are you fifty? And um, and that has wow. never left both of us. We talk about that day all the time. Yeah. Did this interview under a tree? But it's very it's, like it, it's like when you like as you're articulating it, it makes yeah. so much sense, right? That's yes. why we all have purpose. 
Yes. And it's just some yes. of us just don't see it. You know? Right. And we don't Find realize it. that we are supposed yeah. to be the ones that solve the yeah. problems. So that's why yeah. God's put us here. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that, so that was my first television experience. Wow. Yeah. You know what I love about this interview? It's like, I don't think I've asked any question that we researched yet. Uh, <laughs> so that's when you know. You're so much fun. It's just so much fun, fun, just so much fun to it. interview. Yeah. So, you know, because you asked, because you brought this up, you know, about mm-hmm. Ryan's Wells, which I'm going to look at, you know, yeah. my question to you is what would you like to see happen differently in the world today? Mm. So I run a charity called The Baby Depot. And this started, uh, we're going on our eighth year and um, started because I did this story on a woman who had a similar charity called Baby Showers. And this is when I was with 100 Huntley Street. So I did the story on this woman. She's a, you know, a mom, stay at home mom. I believe she had like six or seven kids and she just wanted to find purpose. We talked about purpose, right? And got together with some friends, was reading the Rick Warren uh, Purpose Driven Life yes. book and uh, was, you know, like, what can we do as moms? And so they decided, why don't we just collect baby clothing and give it away to families in need? And so they started this out of their church and did it faithfully for a number of years. So when I met Kathy, she was like in the throes of this. And a lot of the women that were part of that group had left, but she was really focused on continuing to help. And it really resonated with me because at that point I had one child and I was like, this just is so practical. Mm -hmm. And as I told the story, you know, she had shared with me that over 30 people would call every single day asking for help. Like it was just so inundating of people who needed help. And so fast forward a number of years later, and I had my second son and I was looking for baby showers to to donate my clothing, Mm. which I'd done over the years and found out that they were no longer operating Mm. and was really like, I was on mat leave and just really struck and really saddened by it because I, again, so identified with what she was doing and felt it was so practical. So uh, one day we go to the beach with some friends, we're hanging out. And I'm talking to my friend about how much, you know, like the fact that this charity no longer exists and I'm lamenting on it. I'm upset and like, what's going to happen to all these families and stuff. So we're driving home and my husband's driving and I'm complaining again about the fact that this charity doesn't exist. And he turns to me while he's driving. He's like, well, Maggie, why don't you do something about it? (laughs) And I'm like, because somebody else is like, I'm busy. Don't you see? Like we have two children. I'm on that leave. Like I have things to do. He's like, well, you keep complaining about it. Why don't you do something about it? And I really thought about that. And I was like, well, maybe if I talk to this person and that person. And, and so the wheels started turning. And I think I just need somebody to challenge me on it. <laughs> and so contacted my pastor then and said, hey, if we if I did something like this, would the church support me? Would you help me? She's like, absolutely. And that's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear mm-hmm. that I would have support, that I wouldn't be by myself. And fast forward now eight years, and we have helped over almost 500 babies with gently used baby clothing. We give a year's worth of clothing to babies in need in Hamilton proper. And, um, And just, yeah, the focus is... How do we, and our, our kind of our motto is connecting uh, neighbors one need at a time. So that's really what we are. We're just, we're the middle people. Yeah. So you have something and we identify the person that's in need and we give it to somebody else. Mm. So we're, you know, we work with social agencies who identify babies who are desperately in need. And, uh, and then we package uh, you know, a full hamper and give it to these babies. So, you know, when I look at the world, I think, you know, I think about the joy I had 
and being able to purchase things for my children and imagine them in them. And we call them our neighbors because literally, I mean, we've served people who are just like up the street from where I live. And again, their children have nothing. Um, And so knowing that our neighbors need help, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. That's essentially what we're doing. And, you know, I've had so in the early days, I used to deliver the hampers. We now have an employee that does that. But I remember delivering to one one family and I guess mom hadn't told dad that we were coming and he opened the door and we're like, I'm unpacking all this stuff and giving him. He just kind of looked at me and he was like, who are you? And I just said, we're just neighbors that heard you you needed some stuff for your baby and just kind of left it at that. Mm -hmm. And it's and so that's essentially what we do. I mean, we're not out there to make ourselves popular or Mm -hmm. famous or anything. Uh, We're just caring mothers and um, grandmothers and aunts and uncles who are just saying, yeah, we we see that there are babies in need. One in five babies in Hamilton live under the poverty line. And so how do we how do we affect change? How do we do something different? So I'm so excited. And you're the first person I'm telling this to, like, on broadcast. Mm -hmm. We are about to open our own boutique. And I'm so excited about this. So I call it the Dignity Project. And this is always, it's been on my heart for the past. We had a a big five-year anniversary dinner um, three years ago now, almost three years ago. And I'd said, you know, I cast this vision and this dream of having this boutique where moms and dads could come in and they could choose the clothing. And walk away and not have to pay a cent as opposed to us filling these hampers. And so it's really bringing dignity back into the process. And, and so I'm so, we've signed the lease. We're getting our keys tomorrow. We're hope we're going to be opening in the spring. And the whole idea is to create this high end feeling boutique. We're like, I envision it being kind of like a gap kids where people could just walk in. Oh, that's so beautiful. And then be able to leave. And And I'm just so excited about adding this to our community and it just being a place of purpose yeah. really for our friends. Wow. And that's going to be in Hamilton proper. It's going to be in Hamilton, downtown Dignity Hamilton. Project. Yeah. That is yeah. so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I, I have to come down and visit yes, and I have to do another. Absolutely. I, so absolutely. I, our grand opening. I'm yeah. inviting you. First of all, I'm just loving interviewing you. Like I could, <laughs> like I could go on and on, like honestly, and I'm, and on, I, I honestly believe this is probably one of my favorite. Because it doesn't Aww, even feel like, it's like, Inky, you got to remember you're on a podcast and you have to end this at some point. <laughs> didn't, my team's like, you didn't ask <laughs> one question. <laughs> but that's okay. I, I, I just, oh my gosh, this is, so I do have to ask because I think about all that you're doing and what you're creating in that, you know, magnificent brain and heart of yours. And mm. earlier on, you said, I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... And I'm not saying I find it hard to believe because I'm both intro and extrovert. Yeah. But as an introvert, and I'm just wondering if there's some extrovert elements of you, you know. Totally. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Like I'm a hybrid for sure. Like I, you know, it's funny because I have friends who are super introverts and they're like up to now, like you said, we're 53 weeks in, they're good. They're like, you know what? I don't need to see another human being forever. And I'm like, I need to see human beings. So I'm definitely a mixture for sure. But I think in the world of TV, believe it or not, most of us are introverts. And I think it's just because when you and somebody said this to me recently, when you are in the public eye all the time, you need that time to retreat mm. because you're just always sharing mm-hmm. a part of yourself and you mm-hmm. always have to be on. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to see me on my tape days, 
you'd be like, Maggie, is that is that you? Because I'm very quiet. Mm-hmm. I'm very, you Focused. know, internal. Yeah. I'm processing. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my questions. I'm thinking about all of those things. And that's when you see the most introverted version of Maggie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and the people will be like, is she mad at me? Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I just really need time to process. The light goes on. And I know it's showtime. I'm yeah. a professional. I do it. And then when I'm done, I'm like, hey, let's party. Let's yeah, talk. Okay. Let's, you know, socialize. Mm-hmm. But that's just who I am. And I just need those moments. Mm-hmm. Like, even with my boys, right? I'm in a house full of boys. And they <laughs> go down to the basement. And I just love the time to just sit in quiet and just, and not talk to people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it, and if I don't respond to your text, please don't take it personally. Yeah. It's just, I just need that time. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and those that love me understand that. Yeah. And they, and they respect that and they give me that space. You know? Let me tell you something. I'm my, I'm married, so East is yeah. my husband, and I know Elton is yours. If yeah. he, if he hadn't claimed you, I'd be claiming you right now. <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> Like, I get the mad love he has for you, man. Like, I get that. I get that. You're going to have to tell me how you guys met. So I'm going to go into my rapid thrivers. All right. Okay, so when you think of someone who inspires you, who comes to mind first? Inspires me. Oh, that's such a good question. There's so many people that inspire me. Oh, I can't you. Oh, Oh, that's such a good question. Who inspires me? I mean, for so many different reasons, mm-hmm. though. Like, Oprah inspires me for the for the fact that she's such a great communicator and she started from nothing mm-hmm. and has made this empire. Mm-hmm. Um, someone like a Priscilla Shire. I don't know if you yes, know Priscilla know. She's Shire. A, yeah, she's a war room her. lady. Right. And I love her because I love the her prayer. passion for There's Jesus. There's a war room or prayer room? War room. War room. War yeah, room. War room. Yeah. I love her because of her passion for mm-hmm. Jesus. Like, there are just so many people that, yeah. I'll leave it Those are two great now. ones. Two great. Yeah. Two great. So what is a daily activity that helps you with your thrive? Mm. Well, we were just talking about reading the Bible, mm. like just even or even just spending time with God. And I don't do that enough because as soon as I wake up, it's taking the kids to school. It's run, mm. run, 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 run. Um, but I see a difference, a clear difference mm-hmm. when I've spent some time with yes. him and when I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, so I try to make that key, even if it's just for like 15 minutes yeah. to just say, Hey, Jesus, I need you. <laughs> I need you. Yeah. Post show, I'll share something with you. Yeah. So what's a book that's helped you with your thrive? I guess the Bible, uh-huh. well, other than the Bible. Yeah. There's so many good books. Um, yeah, the Bible, but <laughs> I feel like there is a great book called, um, trying to remember what it's called. I read it so many years ago. Um, this, oh, I can't remember it now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there's also another great book called Uninvited mm-hmm. by Lisa Turkhurst. That's a really good book about just believing in yourself mm-hmm. as a woman. And uh, when you jo- when you feel uninvited in a situation, you bring it. Um, she has this great line that says, um, "Live loved." So when you walk into a room, you know that you are loved. Yeah, yeah. you know that God loves you, so you live that mm-hmm. into reality. So mm-hmm. you don't. You're not looking for people's scraps. Mm-hmm. You're not looking for people to to you know acknowledge you. You are walking in the love that you have already. I love so that. So I think that's a big book that has I'm changed. I'm gonna have my to life. read that one because the, oh, what so you good. just described, when you feel uninvited, bring it. 
am, yes. is such a great way to articulate what I have not been able to articulate, which is how mm. have you been able to show up as a black woman in a male dominated organization <sighs> where people, and I realized that, you know, yeah, uninvited into room, but I didn't really care. Like people came to, right. like they came to, like I, yes. I'm okay. Yes. You may not be okay. Right. <laughs> But I'm loved by God, and that's all right. that matters. But I'm okay, and I'm here. So figure yeah. that out. But another, that's a- another great book that I always recommend to people is The Case for Grace. And that's actually what caused me to do this tattoo um, because it's a great book about grace. Okay. And such great stories. I'll tell you one quick story of a man who was a part of um, – uh, killing a number of people in Cambodia during the uprisal and came to faith in Jesus while he was in prison. Mm. This man had killed thousands Mm. of people. And yet, even in that moment that he would be forgiven of that because of grace. grace, And so again, just grace is radical and it doesn't make sense to the common person, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's God's language and we can't, we can't deny it. I love it. Such a great book. Ooh, what is an app that helps you with your thrive? Oh, an app. You know, I've tried to like step away from my phone more. So like even recently I realized my mood was being affected by social media. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that, mm-hmm. but so I have taken a step back from a lot of social media because, mm-hmm. you know, I'd look at things and, and especially during last year with the racial uprisal and awakening and all of that, I was just like, I I was tired mm-hmm. as a black woman, you know, mm-hmm. like as a black woman, mm-hmm. I was just tired. Mm-hmm. I was tired of defending. I was tired of like, and so I had to step, take a step back. So I've really taken a step back. So I would say Scrabble. Yeah, like, okay. That's okay. Yeah, mine is Elevate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, literally it's like playing Scrabble yes. because it's like I can just decompress yes. and yes. not have to think about the world. We are like humans that way. Yeah. And what yeah. is what is one mis- misconception that people have of you as they see you on TV and in your, you know, running your charity and a mom and a, and a wife and doing all these yeah. things? They think I'm, I know this for a fact is that they think I'm strong and they think I am, um, unapproachable. And I get that a lot. And then people start talking to them like, Oh my goodness, I didn't know that you were so approachable. And I didn't. So, and I think that comes for a number of things. I mean, I am very clear on when I communicate and I know what I want and I don't beat around the bush. Um, and so, you know, that brings that across. And, and I just find that you know, we could go into a whole other conversation and catch me, but I always find it interesting that women, when they are very firm in what they believe mm-hmm. are seen as being difficult yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. but when men do that, it's not seen. And especially as a black woman too, you have mm-hmm. that other, mm-hmm. as we talk about intersectionalities. So yeah, I would say people think I'm unapproachable and they think I'm strong and mm-hmm. I am not strong. <laughs> I'm not, I'm just like everybody. And I mean that in like, yes, I'm a strong yes, woman, yes. but, but I am, you know, yeah, like, yeah, I have I my it. struggles just like everybody like, else. Yes, yes, I get and it. I cry yes, just like yes, everybody yes, else. Yes. And yes, I am strong you're in not so a many fortress. areas. You're not like, but I'm not exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. So where do we find you online? Even though, <laughs> even though I've kind of well, I know we away. find you. Yeah, yeah. So where do we where do we? Yeah, see so more I'm on Instagram. Yeah. I'm on Facebook. I just joined. Um, what is it called? Well, don't say TikTok. No, Clubhouse. Oh, okay. Oh, Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yeah, okay. Um, we should so do a Clubhouse to out- together. 
Yeah, actually, I'm thinking of trying to do something. Um, and yeah, any of social media, like Twitter, but not really. And on TV. Yes, TV. And, and on TV. Yes. 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 I love it. And so this podcast is all about, it's called Empowered in My Skin. And in Maggie, in Maggie form, can you tell me what it means to be empowered in my skin? Mm, empowered in my skin, I think, means exactly what I just said before, living loved. Mm-hmm. It's walking it's walking into those rooms knowing that you do not have to convince people that um, you need to be there, but owning your space and living in it. Ooh. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So unfortunately I do have to say we're at the end. It is, Aww. I could honestly, I have to bring, I have to, I have, I, I've already been thinking about other themes part to bring two, part, yeah, two. part two. Oh my gosh. This was honestly, I'm, I feel so thank you, God. I'm feel so blessed to have had this moment in time with you. You so, too. Yeah, I loved thank it. You. Loved thank you every moment sharing. of it. Yeah. I love sharing energy with you for sure. So to everyone that's listening, I know you loved it too. So put your comments in and, and rate this episode five stars. Yes. And this is where, sadly, I have to say, we're out. Bye-bye. So there you have it. I trust you're saying to yourself, I'm fully empowered in my skin. And remember, whatever platform you're listening to this on, please subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast with someone else that you feel can benefit from the empowering content that we deliver. As Tom Billia says, when we help others think in a way that is empowering, that is the lead domino to create real change in this world. It's been fun hanging with you. It's your girl, and I'm out.